You're listening to a message from First Assembly of God. We are a church on a mission to restore everyone, everywhere, to a loving and holy God. If today's message inspires you in any way, would you consider sharing it with a friend? This is just one of the many ways that you can be a part of what God is doing here at First Assembly. Life can get messy, can get complicated, it can be painful. Your life, the life of your family members, my life, the life of a community, a nation, a culture, life can sometimes just be a mess. But Jesus isn't afraid of the messes of life. Jesus is never afraid to walk into what looks like an absolute destructive, ugly mess and bring the light and the power and the peace and the direction of God into the messes of life. We're talking about one of the messiest parts of humanity. One of the messiest things that people do to other people. And Jesus isn't afraid to bring it up. Jesus isn't afraid to deal with it. Jesus isn't afraid to correct it and heal it. We're calling this brief three Sunday series, Once Upon a Slave. Few words should evoke more disdain than slave. But Jesus isn't afraid to talk about it and enter it and deal with it. Let me, at the outset, just make it pretty clear. Slavery is messy. In fact, let me make it more clear. Slavery is immoral. It is evil. It is ungodly. Slavery is from hell, not heaven. This, this is not a rhetorical question, okay? Is, is slavery in heaven? Are there slaves in heaven? Then God's will is that it be eradicated on earth. It isn't God's plan for people. No one, not one single person, has been formed by God to be in bondage to another human being. That is not God's plan for his beloved creation. And yet it exists. Whether it's the ugly sexual trafficking that happens all around our world. We sent supplies up to Minneapolis for the Super Bowl. Because while all of us are celebrating that wonderful national spectacle and eating chili and cheering on a team, people are being trafficked and used and they're trapped from the gross abductions and slavery to the economic chains of prostitution and the pimp. It's evil, it's gross, it's immoral. To the slavery in our own American history birthed this racism or prejudice or subtle hints of bias that still exist all have its roots in the evil of slavery. Jesus isn't afraid to enter into the messes of the world or the messes of your life. 
from the microcosm of your kitchen to nations and the world. Jesus doesn't run away from a mess. He engages it with his grace and redemption and transforms people. In fact, Jesus was born when the world was under the thumb of the mighty Roman Empire. The New Testament was written to a culture, to people that were very familiar with slavery. In fact, in Rome, in the Roman Empire, one out of five people were slaves. In the major cities like Rome or Ephesus or Corinth, the number was closer to one out of every three. Look down your row. Count off one, two, slave. One, two, slave. One, two, slave. Don't look at color. Don't look at education. Don't look at gender. The Romans enslaved anybody and everybody they conquered. From the elite of a culture to the least educated and everyone in between. When Rome beat your community, when Rome conquered your nation, when Rome conquered your family, they enslaved. And they populated their kingdom with slaves. And Jesus didn't run away from it. And the new church, the early followers of Jesus, had to learn how to think less like a Roman and more like a follower of Jesus. Had to learn how to think less like being a slave and more like being free in Jesus. Because Jesus is not content with you or me living in our mess. He speaks to you. He speaks to me. He speaks to nations and he transforms them. The little book in the New Testament is so small. In fact, if you're flipping through the Bible and you're just thumbing through the pages quickly, you'll never find it. It's usually one page long, less than a page. It's the book of Philemon. It's Paul the Apostle's shortest epistle, his shortest letter. Not written to a church, not written to a pastor, but written to a man and his immediate family to deal with a mess. And last week we introduced that mess to you and we have our three main characters. Can we give a round of applause to my two-dimensional staff today? Last week, if you missed it, um, you need to listen to the podcast. I don't think last week is available on video. This week we're live streaming, so hello everyone watching. I think we're on Facebook Live this morning, um, if I understand what, what's going on. So, welcome. So we got our staff, you know the three characters, of course, the one you're most familiar with, Pastor Dave today, playing the part of Paul the Apostle. Paul grew up a Jew, thought like a Jew, acted like a Jew, he was very well educated, became a part of the Pharisees, became part of the Sanhedrin, and he was the lead persecutor of the church. He arrested Christians, he imprisoned Christians, and he killed Christians. And then Jesus whopped them upside the head and said, the God you are trying to defend, you're killing. Stop it. And Jesus revealed himself to him. And suddenly, the one who despised the name of Jesus became his most ardent defender, preacher, and church planter. And Paul, out of the church at Antioch, left with a small team of people, traveled throughout the Roman Empire, planting churches in cities that had Portillo restaurants in them. Right? Portillo's. 
major cities, good places to stop, Italian beef sandwiches, Paul's favorite. He would go to those cities and start a church. And in probably 80, I'm pulling this off the top of my head, so I may be off by a year or two, probably about AD 51 or so, he was in Ephesus, stayed there, planted a church. Ephesus was a leading city. And while in Ephesus, he met our second main character. Give a big round of applause to Pastor Katie, playing the part of Philemon. <laughs> Philemon was a business owner who lived about 100 miles away from Ephesus. I think we have a map up here. Um, it's coming. There we go. Ephesus is almost in the middle of the screen, about 100 miles to the northeast is the city of Colossae, uh, a smaller uh, community, but still a, a one of the leading cities in the Roman Empire. That's where um, this character lived, Philemon. He traveled to, Onesim, uh, to Ephesus on business. He meets Paul, gives his life to Jesus. He travels back to his hometown of Colossae and becomes a leader in the church. We know he hosted part of the church, maybe the whole church, maybe a small group, but he had a substantial enough home as a middle-class or upper-middle-class Roman citizen. He was successful business person, and like all successful middle-class and up-Romans, he owned a slave. Philemon thought like a Roman. Is that God's will? No. But Philemon didn't know much better. Just starting out following Jesus, he did and kept doing what all good Romans did, and he needed Jesus to change his heart. We'll get to that next week. Likely, we're not sure, but our third character, give a round of applause to Pastor Kenny. <laughs> Pastor Kenny is a guy named Onesimus. Onesimus means useful, a very common slave name. Probably not, most certainly not, his birth name. No loving mother names their kid useful. He was renamed um, as a slave. So useful, we can gather, knew Paul as well. Most likely, the two of them traveled as a team. Roman slaves uh, were not just out in the cotton fields and left uneducated and despised and rejected like the American history. Roman slaves were often well-educated and empowered and helped run family businesses, but they were owned. They were property. And Onesimus probably met Paul on one of those trips to Ephesus with his owner, but did not give his life to Jesus. And you know the story. Onesimus, for some reason, we could probably name a dozen reasons. He ran away. He took off. He Ubered a vehicle made it over to Ephesus where he could catch a ship. Bought a ticket, sailed across the Mediterranean, and ended up in the best city to hide. Where's the best city to hide? Rome. How did Onesimus fund his uh, escape? He stole the money. Perhaps Onesimus had earned Philemon's trust, Perhaps Onesimus was even educated in new accounting and knew how to skim from his master. We don't know. But he got the dough, he got the money, and he took off. Went to Rome, and he found, who did he find? And he didn't find Paul by accident. Because you don't find a guy in prison by mistake. Paul is now under house arrest. 
chained 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Four Roman guards would take turns working their shift, coming in, chaining themselves to Paul, keeping him locked away in his house, and Onesimus, for some reason, went and found him. Perhaps Onesimus was out of his master's money, and he was beginning to beg on the street. Perhaps he was afraid he would be caught. If Onesimus is caught and it's discovered that he's a fugitive slave, he's going to be hauled back to Colossae and stand trial Certain imprisonment, certain punishment, and possible death. Philemon had all those options to deal with Onesimus, how he felt best. We don't know what led Onesimus to find Paul, but he went and found him, tracked him down. And that's where our story begins taking shape. And we find this mess in Scripture. This is a mess, isn't it? Who's in a great place? The preacher is in prison, a slave owner, that's not good, and a slave, that's evil, terrible, and now he's a fugitive thief on the run. This is, everyone say it, this is a, it's a mess, but Jesus has a plan, and we can read how the plan unfolds in the book that bears the name of the slave owner, Philemon. We read it last week in its entirety, but let's kind of summarize it now. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner from preaching the good news about Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. And he's writing to Philemon. I'm praying for you that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. I'm praying, Paul says, that you will be generous, that your faith that is growing, you as you become less and less Roman, And more and more Jesus-like. I'm praying that that faith will overflow. That as you understand and experience all the good things that Jesus has given you, that you'll be generous. I appeal to you, verse 10. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child. What does Paul call Onesimus? My child. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. At some point in one of their conversations, don't know if it was days, weeks, or months, the fugitive, runaway, slave that had stolen from his owner becomes a Jesus follower too. And now a Jesus follower and a Jesus follower and a Jesus follower have got to figure out what Jesus' will is through the mess. He says, I'm sending you, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child. Where was Onesimus' family? Where was his mom? Where was his dad? Probably taken from him. And in the words of Paul, you can hear the beginnings of a new family starting to form. Onesimus, I know. I'm sorry. But you have a family. Let me help you. I'll be a father. I'll be a father figure to you. And he continues writing. So if you consider me, Philemon. Oops, let me back up. I appeal to you, verse 15. It seems to me, Philemon, 
You lost Onesimus for a little while, but God has a bigger plan. You're going to have him back forever, but not as a slave. Verse 16, he's no longer a slave to you. He's coming back. You're going to have him forever, but no longer as a slave. He's more than a slave. He is a what? He's a beloved brother. Not that brother that you wish you didn't have. A beloved brother. A brother you love. Do you hear the family terms? Owner, slave, no, 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 no. Child, brothers. God is wanting to break the evil. So if you consider me your partner, welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. How would Philemon welcome Paul? Wash his feet, hug, kiss on the cheek, fresh oil on his dry skin. Come sit at the table, prepare our best meal, get our best food, sit at the head of the table, Paul. We're going to wait on you. You will prepare the guest room for you, the best room in the house. Welcome the fugitive thief slave like it's me. That changes everything. That flips everything the culture says right side up. Paul continues, If he has wronged you in any way, when Onesimus returns to you, if he's wronged you in any way, which is Paul's very gentle way of saying, I know he stole a lot of money. If he's wronged you in any way, in any way owes you anything, charge it to me. The impoverished, prisoned preacher. I'll pay you back. I, Paul, verse 19, I write this with my own hand. I will repay it, and I won't even mention to you that if it wasn't for me, you'd go to hell. Yes, my brother, child, brothers, brothers. Yes, my brother, do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. Last week we spent most of the time talking about the story and how Paul intervened to help bridge this huge wall, to knock down the wall of slavery and to say, welcome him home as a beloved brother. Today I want us to think about Onesimus, next week, Philemon, and what God needed to do in his mind and his heart. But today, Onesimus. Can you imagine that trip all the way back to Colossae? He's a runaway. He's a fugitive. He's stolen money. He has no legal standing in the Roman Empire. If he's discovered, if he's arrested, if he gets to that front door and Philemon decides to call 911, what's going to happen? We're going to enter another main character. This is what's going to happen. The Roman guard is going to show up, right? This is not just any stormtrooper. This is, anybody know? Oh, no Star Wars fans in here. Come on, it's, it's Phasma or Phasma. 
Anyway, never mind. I'm a geek. Sorry. Apologize now to all of you fellow Star Wars geeks online. You know what I mean. Imagine how difficult it is for the hero of our story to make this trip. That is a long journey to face an uncertain end. I know how long it is for me. When my wife and I have had our annual fight, you know, one a year is all we allow. One argument a year, that's it. Um, we've already reached our quota. Um, but when we're, in the, when we're in the house and we're, 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 something's got it heated, we disagree. You know, I know I'm right and she knows she's slightly more right. And we're in this conversation that turns like we're stuck. And I march out of the bedroom and she stays there and I'm in the kitchen you know, pacing circles around the kitchen island. And I'm saying nice, pleasant things like, oh, I am such a good mood. And I'm mad. Like, I can't believe she said that. She is so wrong and I am so right. And I'm forming my defense. I'm like, well, this and this and this and this and this. And there's no way I'm going to that bedroom. She needs to come out here and apologize. I'm not going in there to say I'm sorry. She's supposed to come here. You know, she's the wrong one. I'm the right one. And that goes on for about 30 seconds or 30 minutes, depending on how big it is. But eventually I know I got to take all my defensiveness, all my frustration, and I've got to make those 25 steps to the bedroom. It's a long walk when you know there's been something ugly happen. Can you imagine Onesimus' walk? Can you imagine the conversation Paul and Onesimus must have had? Onesimus comes to know Jesus. And they're talking, maybe it's days, weeks, months, but at some point, somewhere in the conversation, Paul had to ask the question, so what are you going to do, Onesimus? You can't hide here forever. You know you need to go back home. And I can hear Onesimus, that's not my, don't you dare call that home. I can hear the anger come back. That Colossae is not my home. You know where my home is, Paul? My home isn't there. Where is my home? He's a slave. He's been ripped from his home. I, I can hear Paul backpedaling. I'm, Onesimus, you're right. I'm sorry. That conversation was probably over for the day. Day or two pass. Onesimus is back with his spiritual father. Paul's with his spiritual son. Can you imagine? How do you, if you're Onesimus, how do you go back? Think of the pressure on him. Think of who owed who an apology here. I mean, he stole money, but he's a slave owner. Who's right? Who's wrong? Do you understand the tension that's happening in this conversation? Where Paul says, Onesimus, what does Jesus want to do here? I don't know, Paul. You expect me to go say I'm sorry to him? 
Do you feel it? Do you feel how ugly and hurtful sin is? It makes a mess. I can hear at some point Onesimus just saying, well, who do you think the victim is anyway? So who is? I mean, think about it. Paul, do you know what it's like to lose your family? Do you know what it's like to live as a possession? And you want me to go back? Wow. God couldn't have sent Onesimus to anybody better. I can see Paul in in some of those tense moments eventually just kind of looking down at the chains around his ankles. And, and, and one day saying, Onesimus, please hear me. I'm not comparing your loss to mine, but I do understand what it's like to be bound. I do understand what it's like. I, I'm not a slave. I'm a Roman citizen. But I'm a prisoner stuck here 24-7 chains around my ankles. I know it's hard. But what does Jesus want you to do? Can you work with me just a little bit? I need to know. Can you work with me a little bit? I'm going to stretch you. And it's going to feel awkward for a little bit and it's going to seem unfair and illogical, but work with me. You have a victim of some of the ugliest things humans can do to humans. You have a victim of a tyrannical government. Guess who else is a victim? I know she's a slave owner, but Onesimus took her stuff. This victim made another victim. Now, I know they're not on the same level, Right? We can rank people. In fact, we do that all the time. Who has suffered more? Who has hurt more? And that is completely a normal human response. In fact, if you were to line all these up, who's the victim here? Uh, yes, yes, yes. And if you took off the helmet and you dropped his weapon, you would find out there's probably a victim story here too. Maybe this big, tough soldier... He's got a little child at home, diseased and on the precipice of death. Maybe when he drops his imperial blaster and returns home for the night, he's dousing his little toddler kid's sweaty forehead as that fever continues to grow. Victim of disease, unfair, unjust, not right. Victim of robbery, not fair, wrong, not right. Victim of false imprisonment and arrest, chained, wrong, not right. Slaved, victim of war and the casualty of the worst of humanity, all not fair, wrong, and evil. You know what, I, here, you know what we could do? We could line all of these up. Let's, let's rank them, all right? So let's start with... Um, Let's see, the, the, the least to the greatest. So which one's the least victimized? Which one? Probably robbed. I would agree. Thank you. You can participate. 
So let's, let's think, Pastor Katie, quit crying over spilled milk, all right? You lost your money. You can earn it back. Let it go. All right, who's next? Who's next? The stormtrooper's next. Your son is dying. That's next. Not for me. I've, uh, I have felt that before, close to it, and never want to go back. How about this? I'll go sit in prison for a couple of years to keep my child out of that. And how about this? This is probably the worst, right? Maybe not. Maybe chain me, own me, keep my kid out of it. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Maybe that's my best guess. Now, how about you? Where are you at? Where do you stand in this line? If you're old enough, you've lived long enough, you're somewhere in this list. You, you, may be, you may find yourself here, you may find yourself here, you may find yourself over here, but can I tell you, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if that is true, that means all have been sinned against. Every human sins, and that means every one of those. There's a victim. From the microcosm, the, the tiniest little thing. Maybe, maybe I'm a victim of traffic lights. I hit every red light on my way home. I'm a victim. And I come home a little bit edgy and a little bit frustrated. The kid's like, what? What's wrong with you? Why are you in a bad mood? Oh, I hit every red light. And suddenly, I'm taking out anger and tension on a bunch of innocent family members to what is the most extreme and heinous a rape victim, an abuse victim, a victim of the worst parts of humanity. Man, you draw the scale, line us all up. Can I tell you, every human being is on this list somewhere. The question is, what do you do about it? And that was Onesimus' challenge. He was a victim, a victim of the worst kind. There are millions like Onesimus. What does he do? What do you do? What do I do? How do you handle sin? How do you handle being sinned against? Typically, what humans do, right? Can we just talk about the human dilemma? Typically, what humans do, they, they have a couple of different options. They can, they can accept the label, I'm just a slave. And they collapse under the weight of a sinful label. I don't deserve any better than this. They hear the words of their father. They feel the pain and the shame of the rape from 20 years ago. And that captures them and imprisons them. And they remain trapped in so much less than what Jesus wants for them. They were not created for that label. No one was created to wear a label other than a child of God. So that's one response. The other response is to look up and down the row and get even. I have it so bad, I will justify making a victim because I'm worse than than he is or she is. Next time I preach this series, I need to use a man for Philemon, maybe. See, the only choices we have 
for victimization as humans is either collapse under the weight of the evil or make a victim out of somebody else because we want to even the score. Jesus steps in and says, I've got a completely different idea. See, this is the gospel. The gospel isn't just John 3.16 on a banner at a sporting event. The gospel is Jesus entering the mess of human sin and saying, here's my path forward. And it doesn't look like anything you will experience in normal human relationships. Humans either collapse under the weight of the label or they fight against it and they make other people that are lower on the scale a victim. And victims become victimizers, right? We know that. Jesus steps in and says, let me, let me, let me clean the mess. I'll be the one. I'll be the one. Jesus, the one person who has never sinned against somebody else. Jesus, the pure Lamb of God. Jesus, the one who spoke creation into being, says, I know you're angry and it's not fair. I know it's been wrong and someone needs to settle the score. Someone needs to be punished. Someone needs to make things right. Someone needs to get even with this. I know, I know, I know. And there's no way you can take it out of somebody else. I'll do it. That's the point of the cross. One of the big points of the cross. Jesus took the guilt of all of human sin and says, I'll take it. I'll die for it. Because we know instinctively that we want things to be even, and the more we try, the bigger mess we make. The more we fight to even the score, the more mess we create. So Jesus says, enough. Onesimus, I know you need to get even with Philemon. I'll die. I'll die for the sin of slavery. I'll die. I'll take the punishment away. It's on me. And we say, Jesus, that's not fair. You didn't do this. He goes, I, what's fair? I'll do what's righteous. The holy will die for the unholy. And see, the message of Jesus isn't, I need to get even. It's, oh my goodness, I love God so much because he died for all the evils that have ever been done for me. I don't have to try to even the score. Jesus liberates us from that. And then he does something else. He finds the people with their labels and says, hey, he whispers in her ear, hey, Philemon, I know, I know you're angry. I know you were robbed. But was that really your money? Who gave you that money? Who made you a Roman citizen? Do you think you're so smart? Do you think you're so good? Whose money was it? That's right, now you get it. Were you, are, are you mad? Were you robbed? Did you lose something? No, that's right. I gave it all. You'll be fine. And suddenly, she's not a victim of robbery. God will provide for all of her needs. You're not a victim of job loss. You're not a victim of downsizing. You're not a victim. Of, God will provide for all of it. I don't have to carry that label. Onesimus, oh, my dear son, you carry this label of slavery and war. It's not true. You're my son. You're my child. In fact, we may read it next week. We'll see if we have time. In the book of Colossians, that's when 
Paul is writing to Philemon's church, the church he would host in his house, the church that he would gather at, the church that Onesimus would have been part of. And he speaks to the slaves in the church, and he says, oh, slaves, you're not slaves. You're free in Jesus. I know the Roman Empire says you're a slave, but that's, there's, a, there's an emperor that's bigger than any Caesar. And he says, you're a son. You're a daughter. And he goes on to say, you have an inheritance. Everything that he lost, his family's property, the rights to his future, all of that will be restored and then some in heaven. You have an inheritance waiting for you. You have a new spiritual family. And so God begins to shed all of our labels. And he does that in huge, ugly messes like slavery. And he does it in my family and your family, in your home and in your life. Whatever mess you're facing, Jesus can see through all the complicated issues. Jesus can see through all the mess. And he can speak to you. I died to even the score and bring justice. Trust that to me. I died so that you wouldn't bear the weight of a rape victim. You are not that. You are my precious, beautiful daughter. I died so you wouldn't have to live with this label of high school dropout, this label of addict, this label of an abuser. You're different. You are not that. And suddenly when the labels begin to change and the whisper of Jesus' voice in our ears becomes a roar of the lion and we believe it and we start to live it, we change. And people change, families change, nations change, the world changes. That's the gospel. The gospel is simply this. Jesus died for my sins and your sins the sins I commit, and the sins that I experience. Jesus died for them all. And when I come to Jesus, I'm healed of my victimhood, and the label of my sin is torn off, and I become a son of God. And it changes everything. And if you are in a mess, can I tell you, if you turn to Jesus, he'll navigate you through it. He's a good shepherd. Remember that psalm? The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads you to still waters. He guides you down paths that are righteous and good through the messes of life. So it's this simple. Jesus, I'll follow you. I mean, what more powerful prayer is there than that? I'll follow you. You show me the way to go. I'm tracking with you. Even if it means leaving Rome and walking all the way back to the person who once hurt me, I'm back. Actually, let me restate that. I don't want anyone to think that if, you're, if you've left an abusive relationship, I'm asking you to go back. It's not what I'm saying. Go back to Jesus. Don't be afraid to come to him and allow him to heal and restore you. It's as simple as Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Go back to connecting point, get into growth track, start growing so the whispers of Jesus become louder than the screams of society. And you will not hear what the world says you are. You will not hear what the past says you are. You'll hear what Jesus says you are. And even the huge messes like slavery 
Jesus can break them down. Jesus can break through. We hope that you got a lot out of today's message and that you'll share it with a friend. To stay connected with what's happening at First Assembly, be sure to go to the App Store and type in 1-A-G-B-N to download the app. Remember, God created you to make a difference. So go and make a difference.